Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Awesome, awesome. Did any of you see the color on the way in this morning with those dark clouds on the backdrop? Oh my goodness, that was beautiful on our way in this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Davis. For those of you who don't know me, I am one of the teaching pastors here at Corner, and I'm super excited we get to open up God's Word together today. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5 uh, will be verses uh, 12 through 32, but we're going to start in uh, verses 12 through 16. And the title of today's message is called Missing the Point. Missing the Point. Now, I wanted to give a quick update. Um, as you notice, I am not wearing a boot today other than my own choosing. Uh, There's a praise. You can clap at that if you want. You don't have to, but okay. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, but uh, so what happened is uh, I, uh, I'm on two weeks without it, and then I go back into the, the doctor over at Shoreline. They've been a great, great uh, group of guys to work with. Um, and uh, they're going to determine if I need surgery or not. So I'll be praying for wisdom over the next couple weeks um, because if they have surgery, they have to fuse bones together, which will give me limited mobility, which is not ideal. Uh, so I'll be praying that this doesn't get worse over the next two weeks. That's kind of what we're waiting on. So I'll be praying for healing and uh, wisdom for the doctors as they go through this. Let's read Luke together. Uh, verse 12 through 16. And while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him, tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Let's, let's pray together before we enter. Father, I want to take a moment to thank you for your word. As Mike just sang about and prayed about, that we thank you that the word became flesh, dwelt among us, provided a way back to you, we want to praise you for that. God, as we were worshiping this morning, uh, one of the words that kept coming to my mind was just heaviness. I know there's a lot of people, probably even in this room this morning, that have been going through a lot. Things have been heavy. And God, we want to just pray that you uh, lighten those burdens this morning. Give us those abil the ability, as you say, to lay those things at your feet see you as you are, not the distorted versions of you, but as you are. Remind us of your goodness this morning as we sing. Maybe some of us for the first time, we see you as you are. I lift the fog from our brains. Help us peer into your word, see things new. Maybe we've read these passages a thousand times, but God, help us see something new this morning. We leave this place not unchanged. 
in your name. Amen. How many of you have ever had a friend tell you about something? Maybe it was a movie, maybe a book, maybe an album, and they really, really hyped it up for you. So you were like, they're like, this is really good. You got to check this out. You have to see this. And when you finally read that thing, saw that thing, listened to that thing, you were totally disappointed because of how much somebody had hyped it up for you. Anybody have that happen before? Okay, a lot of us. Now, I have an example of that I wanted to share was when I was in school growing up, every year we had a history class, and inevitably in that class, we would read about Mount Rushmore. And there was always these pictures accompanying it. Sometimes there'd be fireworks over top. It'd be these really close-up pictures. And I'm like, this looks amazing. This is huge. I have to see this for myself. And it became this thing I was reminded every year of, I have to go see this Mount Rushmore. This looks absolutely stunning. As we carve like faces out of the side of a mountain, like that's insane, right? So one year, uh, my parents are missionaries, and we were going out west to raise support at some churches, and uh, we were going to be very, very close to Mount Rushmore. So we decided to take a small family vacation while we were out there, and uh, we go out there, and it was really cool. The day we were there, there was the last surviving builder of Mount Rushmore that was still alive. Uh, he was in his 90s. He was signing books, autographs in the gift shop. And that was really cool. So we got to go see him and meet him. And uh, we go out back out by the trail leading out to Mount Rushmore. We go back there. I laid my eyes on Mount Rushmore for the first time, and I was severely disappointed because it was way smaller than I expected. Now, that doesn't take away the beauty of Mount Rushmore. It's still an amazing feat. There's a lot of people that passed away while they were working on that. It's still an amazing feat. But because of my expectation that I had ramped up in my mind, I had made Mount Rushmore something that it wasn't. See, over these past couple weeks, we've been talking about the expectation gap that the people Jesus ministered to were facing. There was the expectation of the Jesus that they wanted and the Jesus that was there. There was the expectation of the political changes they wanted to see in their culture that they wanted Jesus to bring and the reality of what Jesus was there to do. See, a lot of the Jewish people wanted a political king. They wanted somebody that was going to come in, cut the heads off the Roman invaders, and send them back to Caesar while they yelled like Mel Gibson, freedom! And Jesus was setting up a spiritual kingdom. The Pharisees wanted somebody that was going to be able to fulfill all their legalistic boxes of what they thought God should look like. And Jesus was there to fulfill the law, shattering every single box they had. When it came down to it, the people were looking for answers that was right in front of them. The surface problems. And Jesus was trying to get to the heart of the matter. And I think a lot of times when we uh, hear about this, we think we would do so much better if we were there instead of those people. But the truth is, how often do we do this? How often do we miss the point of what God's actually trying to do in our lives? We see things in our life that we don't like. There's this, these pains that inflect our life. There's these marriage issues that come into our life. There's uh, uh, this, uh, people issues where we have relationship issues. And we think if these things were gone, 
life would be great. And we miss the thing that Jesus is trying to do just below the surface. Jesus is after the root issue. We often miss the point. And there's a sense in which here that the people that Jesus is ministering to are missing the point. He's being misunderstood. Anybody feel misunderstood before? How many like being misunderstood? Right, Probably none of us. In the last chapter, in chapter 4, we were introduced to Jesus starting his ministry. He faced a temptation. He was baptized. He went out and started his ministry, started a healing ministry. He started going around. He was casting out demons. He was uh, healing the sick. He was bringing people from the brink of death back into life. And everybody got really excited because we like results, don't we? If you're buying a product, we want to know the reviews, the customer reviews of five stars, right? People love a light show. What was happening was Jesus was not just teaching. It was just healing. He was out there teaching He was talking about a kingdom of God. He was talking about the fact that those deepest, darkest prisons that we find ourselves in don't have to define us, but he is in the business of breaking those things, and he's saying those things, but all that people can see are the surface-level healings. And what Jesus is doing in these passages, these three little short stories, is he's flipping the script so we don't miss the point, so his people that he was ministering to don't miss the point. We're reminded why he came. With that in mind, look down at verse 12. It says this. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begging him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, I wish we had like an hour to unpack this one verse because there are so many cultural significant things. You probably chased me off the stage because you got bored. But uh, there's so many things happening here. Because this whole interaction that is happening uh, with this uh, this, uh, leprous man falling before Jesus is culturally inappropriate. The Greek literally says he fell around his ankles. He's right up there. See, in uh, in Jewish culture, if you had leprosy, it was a very serious problem. Your skin would waste away. It would would just drip away, and it was very, very contagious. So if you were leprous in Jesus' culture, uh, you had to wear your hair really long, kind of like mine. Mine looks way better. I'm just going to say that. Uh, but uh, you had to wear it really long. It had to be unkempt. You had to wear these torn-up clothes. And everywhere you went, if you saw people on the horizon, you had to shout, unclean! Unclean! So that everyone that saw you could keep a wide berth of you. If you were leprous in this culture, you had to be a social pariah with zero human contact unless they also had leprosy. That's the situation here. And if you look back at your text at verse 12, it says this man is full of leprosy. This is not just a minor rash on his arm. This is his body. He's in rough shape. I often think sometimes when we think about these situations, we fail to get into the shoes of the guy that's going through this. Think about this guy for a moment. 
This guy probably hasn't seen people in years. This guy probably hasn't had a human touch in years. He hasn't had a hug in years. We're not told much about this guy, but it's very possible he had a family. It's probably very likely. He at least had parents. He might have a wife. He might have kids. He might even have grandkids at this point uh, that he probably has not seen in years because of the isolation. How many of you guys remember when the COVID lockdowns ended and you like bum-rushed Applebee's because you're like, I just want a burger in a booth, you know? <laughs> That's what this guy's going through. That's what's happening. And he throws himself before Jesus because he's heard all these stories that there's a, guy, there's a guy that's here and he can heal me and he can make me whole again. And he, he lays himself down before uh, Jesus. He says, Master, if you want to do this, if you will, you can do this. I know you can. He doesn't demand anything. He presents himself in faith. And text here says this. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I will this. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And I think there's a crazy thing that happens here. So if, in a lepro- if you were had leprosy, if you touched the skin of somebody that had leprosy, you're probably going to get it too. There's a sense here that Jesus reaching down and touching the leprous man to heal him is taking on the disease he's healing. There's a whole sermon right there. There's a picture of the gospel right there. That's what he's doing. He sets them free. He heals them. But there's a condition. Take a look back down at the next verse. He says, and then he charged him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded and for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He says, I know I just did this amazing thing. You are healed. Don't tell a single person about this other than the ones you have to tell. Now, back in Jewish culture, if you woke up for some reason and you were healed of your leprosy, the protocol was you had to go to the priest, you uh, had to show yourself prove that all the leprosy was gone. You'd then offer a sacrifice, and then you would uh, cut your hair, you'd take a bath, put on new clothes, and you'd rejoin your community. And that's what, uh, that's what uh, Jesus is saying to do here. But this guy is way too excited about what just happened to him. And I can't really blame him. This guy has got his life back. He woke up this morning, and he was like, my life is doomed. It's another doomed day. And he saw Jesus, and now everything's fixed again. He has life back. My guess is when Jesus said, don't tell anybody about this, he probably was like, I already tweeted it, bro. (laughs) Like, I already told everyone. And Luke doesn't actually cover this, but Mark covers the same story. In Mark 145, it says, this man went out after the healing and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. What this text reveals to us is that this guy, he went to Applebee's. He stood on his booth, and he's like, I'm healed. He went to the tavern. He's like, I'm healed. He went to the marketplace. I'm healed. He went to his family, hugged his family. He told everybody. And everybody knew. And the consequence of this was that uh, now the, the story, this expectation of Jesus that was already present in the people as Jesus the healer spread like wildfire. 
to the point where Jesus can no longer enter a town because of the pressing of the people to be healed rather than listen to the message. So Jesus was kind of cordoned off to desolate places and small villages, which is where our next mini-story picks up. Take a look. It says this. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. We see some time has passed. Jesus is in a small village probably in a house and all the crowds gather to find him and they're pressed into the house. Probably it's, there's like standing room only. Nobody can move. When I was in a high school, I went to China on a missions trip and we took the subways everywhere and you were like pressed like this in those subways. You couldn't move a muscle. My picture was kind of like that. And what happened, we see all these different characters that are introduced in this section. You have people that are trying to figure out who this Jesus guy was. You have people who are there just trying to figure out what the buzz is all about. People that are there trying to be healed. And there's the religious leaders that are present to figure out if this guy is a threat or not. All these people are here. And in this situation, in this situation, we see another group of people enter. Four friends carrying their paralyzed friend on a stretcher. And after they try and get in, they try and uh, get around all the people, they realize they can't, one of the guys gets a harebrained idea. Now, how many of you guys have friends that get these harebrained ideas, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, okay? Anybody? Okay, I, I have a couple friends like that. If you're not raising your hand, you're probably the friend. And they, they realize something. See, all, most Jewish houses at this time had a staircase on the side of the house that went up to the roof because roofs were flat back then and used as a balcony. So they went up there, and they got the idea, well, let's tear the roof off, and then we'll lower them down on ropes. This will be great. So they start tearing off these tiles, throwing stuff away, trucking at the mortar. They're probably getting cuts everywhere to get to Jesus. And again, this is one of those scenarios I get distracted a lot when I'm reading the, reading the Bible. I wonder, what in the world did the people watching Jesus think in this moment, right? If you're out there, you're watching a sermon, and all of a sudden a tile just falls through the ceiling and four heads poke down and then there's like this body just coming down like this. Like if I was preaching this morning and Don Pavis just comes through the ceiling, right? I'm probably going to freak out a little bit. That's crazy, right? I always wonder what happened after this body is lowered down next to Jesus. Maybe Jesus had to step out of the way to avoid getting hit. Everyone knows the expectation here. Jesus is a healer. He's going to heal this guy. He's going to fix us. We're going to see some light show happen here. And I picture the, the guy on the floor looking up at Jesus, looking back at the crowd, the crowd looking at the guy on the floor, they're looking up at Jesus, the forehead's poking down like what's going on. You know, all the, everybody, all the eyes are trained on Jesus, what he's going to say next. They're all trained on him. And he answers. He says he sees their faith. Look at your next verse. He says he sees their faith, and he says, man or brother, your sins are are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. 
Now, this would have thrown every single person off because everybody at this point is expecting, pick up your bed and walk. Be healed. This guy's not healed yet. He probably tried. He probably, I can't move still. He says, your sins are forgiven. And what Jesus is doing here, he's making it painfully obvious. He's making it very abundantly clear why he's here. Jesus' mission on earth was not primarily going to be a faith healer who was going to show some parlor tricks. The bottom line was the Pharisees were fine with Jesus the healer. They're happy to see Jesus the healer. You can market that. You can rally people around that and send them to fight the Romans. They were not okay with Jesus claiming to be something else. See, in the Jewish mindset, the only person who could forgive sins is God. Only person. And what Jesus is saying here in this moment by forgiving this man's sin is he's saying, I am not the healer you think I am. I'm here to fix a deeper issue than our physical infirmities. And immediately the Pharisees complain. Take a, long, take a look at your next verse. He says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he turned to the man who was paralyzed. He says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and he picked up what he'd been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. See, what Jesus does in this passage is he radically redirects a man's desperate attempt to be healed to remind this man, to remind everyone listening, to remind us his real purpose. His real purpose to meet the deeper need. No longer is he Jesus the healer only. He is Jesus the Savior. See, I think about this guy a lot that was paralyzed. He probably woke up that morning and thought, the worst thing about my life right now is my paralysis. If I could just get my paralysis fixed, I could run and play games with the kids, I could get a job, I could do all of these things. And Jesus obviously had compassion on that. He does have compassion on that. What Jesus emphasized was he was correcting the deeper need. The deeper need was that this man needed Jesus the Savior. At his core, he didn't need Jesus the healer. He needed Jesus the Savior. And see, I think one of the bottom lines is, in the American church, we get caught up with surface Jesus. I bet there's a lot of us in this room this morning, and I have been here myself. We woke, we woke up this morning, we're like, I know the biggest problem in my life. If I could just get through this marriage issue, if my spouse could just handle money the way I want them to, or they could just see things my way, or if my kids would just stop acting like that. Or maybe if that guy at work that drives me absolutely bonkers disappeared. Or maybe if this physical problem that I'm going to ceased, or maybe this emotional pain that's coming in from my relationships right now, maybe if that went away, all of these things we go through, 
We get caught on the surface issue. We get caught with the emotion at the surface. In my own life, I remember a, a season like this. I've talked about this a lot from the pulpit before, but I've always, at different seasons in my life, struggled with doubt. That's been my cross to bear. That's been the thing that God always brings up in my life or allows to happen in my life. I remember one season in particular when I was in college where I didn't know up from down anymore. Reality seemed hard to come by. Didn't know if I should stay in the faith, should I leave it? Where would I go if I did? There wasn't a word for this back then, but it was deconstruction. That was what was happening in my life. And in the midst of that season, it was about two years long, I prayed every day. I was like, God, take this thing away from me. Take this pain away from me. I don't want this. I just want to follow you. I want to serve you. I don't want to go through this stuff right now. It's not helping me. It's not helping the vibe. Get rid of it. I don't want it. I was really using God like ibuprofen. Right? Anybody use God like ibuprofen before to stop the pain that's going on right now? What I didn't realize until much later in my life, that if God answered that prayer in that moment, how detrimental that would have been for my spiritual health. How detrimental that would have been. In fact, I probably wouldn't be here, to be honest with you. At At the core, I was missing the point. I was missing the point. Doubt wasn't my problem. That was never my problem. My problem was I relied on my own personal intelligence and wisdom to carry me through my life. That was my problem. And wisdom and intelligence can be a great thing, a blessing, but when we rely on it, you're going to come across a season in your life where wisdom and intelligence will not get you anywhere. It's going to happen to all of us. And God said, I need to take this away right now so you can depend on me. God was building character. He was building faith. He was building trust. He was building a reliance on him and not on my own. That's what he was doing in that season. Because God knows what it takes to get to our heart. And sometimes to get to those desired outcomes, we have to go through some unimaginable circumstances. In our video that we watch every single week here for this series, The first question that Mike says on there, he's the voice on the video, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's a simple question, but it is a profound question. Because our view of who Jesus is will determine a lot of things about our life. You have to answer that question. Why do we come to Jesus? Why do you come to church today? Why do you seek after God? Why do you open your Bible on a, on a Monday morning or whenever you get to do that? Or why do you come to God? Are you seeking healing? Are you seeking uh, some temporary relief from some pain? Are you uh, just trying to get some stuff out of him? Or are you here to submit your life to him as Lord? Who's Jesus to you? The bottom line is Jesus didn't come to be a genie. Is he a healer? Absolutely. I have experienced miraculous healing in my own life. That's another story for another sermon. I had family members that have experienced it. Jesus does those things. But he didn't come to just deal with our surface issues. He came to deal with our heart. 
And what Jesus is getting at in this passage is that he's not here to only fix our outward problems, but fix the core issues. What needs to be changed to be look like him. In our last passage here, our last short story, we're going to close on this in my minus zero minutes remaining. He says, he not only came to save us from sin, but that he also came to save sinners. Take a look back down at your text here. And after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, after this healing, he leaves this house, uh, probably watching the guy dance away as he can finally walk again. And he comes across a tax booth with a man by the name of Levi. And he says, follow me. And again, this is one of those scenarios where I don't think we understand the full scape or full scope of, of how important and how big this is. See, tax collectors were just as much of a social pariah as the guy with leprosy was in the first story. See, tax collectors in this day and age were the guys or other Jewish people that worked for the Romans, the invader. And what they would do is they would uh, go to the other Jewish people, they'd take the taxes for the Romans, often at like a 50 to 75% markup in some cases, they keep for themselves, and then they'd give the money back to the Romans. These guys were seen as cheats, as scumbags, as the bottom of the barrel, the worst people. And what Jesus does is he says, I want you to follow me. The ultimate social reject. And a, probably not a great person in general. What happens is Jesus goes back to his house, has a great feast with all the other tax collector friends. It would have been a, a really scandalous thing in this culture. And the Pharisees see this, and they're like, not only are you forgiving the sins of people that are probably okay or not great or bad, but you're forgiving the sins and accepting the people that we all hate. And Jesus' response is, that's why I'm here. That's why I came. The gospel isn't for just the people that are okay morally or the people we like. The gospel is for all people. The gospel is for everyone. I might get some flack for this statement, and that's okay. You guys can have my email address and write me. That's okay. But I'm afraid if Jesus came to the church today in America, especially like the conservative church today in America, we would all reject him. We would. Because he would be hanging out and loving the people we've rejected. He'd be with the immigrants we've pushed back over the border. He'd be with the Michigan militia. He would be with the people that we have rejected. For whatever reason. His response to us would be the same. I've come 
to love people, not just the people you like, but the people you've rejected. There'd be a lot of Christians that would say Jesus is a stumbling block rather than salvation. Jesus doesn't put a qualifier on who can receive forgiveness. He doesn't. It's for everyone who will come. Everyone. What Jesus does in this culture, in this moment, is he flips the script on who can receive forgiveness by giving it to the, one of the worst social outcasts. Instead of healing a few people here and there and forgiving some decent upright people, he forgives and welcomes what is seen as the worst of society. So today, you go into this week, what's your expectation of Jesus? Do you see him as the guy that can just get rid of some of the surface-level pains in your life? Or are you willing to submit to the Jesus who's trying to go below the surface to get to your heart? Submit to him as Lord. And if you are submitting to him as Lord, are you willing to show the same kind of love to other people that he showed to you? Because that's his call on us. That's what we're supposed to do. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.